0: Welcome to the Travel Smart podcast by Packpoint. This is your host Ben Gillenwater. Today is episode five with Dr. Wind Goodfriend, and Wind is an associate professor at Buena Vista University. She specializes in social psychology. She has a bunch of cool trips that she's done, and the way that Wind was introduced to me was through a friend, a common friend, who said, "Oh, you've got to chat with Wind. She's camped on the Great Wall of China and been to North Korea." And delivered talks in Europe and different parts of the world and, you know, arranges uh, trips for her students and um, just, you know, has all of these really interesting stories like sounds sounds pretty awesome. So welcome, Wind. Glad to glad to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So let's gee let's let's start off uh, with the Great Wall thing. I mean that's <laughs> so did, so is that right? Did you do a camping trip on the Great Wall, or did I did I get that wrong?
1: I spent one night camping in a tent on top of the Great Wall of China.
0: Nice, and is that in and I'm going to just ask some really ignorant questions because I've never been <laughs> uh, I understand that there's parts of the Great Wall that are uh, where there's a lot of people and then there's parts where there's just nobody. so what what kind of area was this in?
1: That's right. So um, there's a little bit of a sort of a preamble to the story. So just to kind of set up how this happened, um, I was taking students on a trip through my university. That's mostly how I travel in groups is I take these groups of students to trips all over the world for about two or three weeks. And this particular group was actually supposed to go to North Korea which I have been in North Korea, but it was without students. This group of students was supposed to go to North Korea. The day before we were going to leave, we were told, well, the new dictator of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, he's produced all these propaganda videos that say any Americans who go to North Korea will be taken hostage. So oh. the university lawyer said, probably shouldn't take students there.
0: So that, that sounded like a bad thing, I guess.
1: Right. So we yeah. decided not to take the students to North Korea, but in order to get to North Korea, you have to fly into Beijing first. So we already had our round trip tickets to Beijing paid for, and the students were very disappointed that they couldn't go at the last minute. So we ended up going to China and staying in China the entire time instead of going to North Korea.
0: Okay. Yeah. But
1: what happened was, we're 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 getting on the plane going to China and we don't have an itinerary or anywhere to stay in China. So we're on the plane, but we don't actually have any kind of plan for what we're going to do once we get there. Oh,
0: so wow. and we, how, how many how many students were with you?
1: There were 10 students with us.
0: Oh, my gosh. And you're the one that's responsible for making sure that they stay alive.
1: That's right. Um, I was there. Uh, the university always has two faculty members go with students, so it was me and my friend Tim, who's a statistics professor. So, Tim and I basically just tell the students, um, do you guys still want to go, knowing that we have no idea what we're going to do or where we're going to stay, and um, to to honor the spirit of these students, they all said, yeah, it sounds like an adventure. So
0: That's awesome. We, we that, landed that's the in Beijing. best kind of trip.
1: It was absolutely, I completely fun, um, but we were a little concerned about the safety of these students and what are we gonna do with them for the next 10 days. So we land in Beijing and a local Chinese travel agent meets us and says, um, well, we're working out the itinerary for what you're going to do while you're here. But the first thing we'll do is we'll take you to the Great Wall of China because there are some tourist locations near Beijing. So we're we're wandering around on the Great Wall in that afternoon and we're trying to figure out, well, where are we we going to sleep tonight? And the agent says, would you like to camp on the Great Wall of China? And we had never heard of this possibility before. And Tim and I kind of look at each other and said, absolutely. The answer to that is yes, of course, we're going to sleep on top of the Great Wall of China. But we had no idea really what we were agreeing to.
0: Yeah. Plus, so I mean, says, what, uh, like what season of the year was it? What was the, what was the <laughs> yeah, weather like?
1: This is a smart question. It was <laughs> early March. So it was, it was a tad chilly. Okay. Now in the afternoon, you know, we're all excited about this. It's sunny. We hadn't really calculated. It's going to get pretty cold <laughs> tonight. Oh wow. So, so the agent says, great, I'll take care of everything. So, um, around, you know, five o'clock or so, the agent says, get in this van. And and we'll take you to where you're going to camp. And we said, okay, great. So we get in this van. We drive for a, about two hours out into the middle of nowhere in China. There are, there are no cities. There's this little village with like some goats and a three-legged dog. And wow. we get to this farmer's house, and his name was Mr. Hu. So Mr. Hu greets us. He doesn't speak any English at all. He gives us a dinner, which was basically like goat kebabs on a stick and Nutella. So that's what a our dinner. Combo.
0: Uh, cause, I mean, it started off where I was like, oh, goat kebabs, that sounds amazing. And then the Nutella, I was like, oh, all right, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: actually pretty good. Nutella makes everything better. So, so we have dinner. And then um, Mr. Wu is basically, he's this 80-year-old Chinese guy. He's kind of like bent over and everything. And through the through the agent, he translates, like, are you sure that you want to do this? Because it's going to be pretty cold. And I have these like rooms that you can sleep in if you've changed your mind. Oh my god! And we all say, no, no, it sounds good. And he goes, OK, well, you should put on all of the clothes that you brought. Like if you have five sweaters, put all of them on. So <laughs> we're thinking, oh, wow. oh, OK, so we, we, we spend a couple of minutes putting on all of our clothes. And then we get back in the van and we drive for about another half an hour, 45 minutes and it's completely dark and it has snowed. So by the time we get out of the van, totally dark, it's snowing. And we're basically at the base of this mountain on Mr. Wu's farm. Um, So, so, so basically we get out of the van and he takes off and he starts climbing the ruins of the great wall. So the parts of the Great Wall that most tourists see have been rebuilt, and they're very safe, and they're these wide parts, they're very level, and, you know, there are a lot of steps and everything, but it's, it's pretty safe for tourists. Okay. But most of the wall is really crumbly, you know, and it's 2,000 years old, and it's really falling apart, and that's the part of the wall where we are now.
0: So it's completely <laughs> dark.
1: It, right. It's completely dark. It's covered in snow and ice. And Mr. Wu is basically like Spider-manning up this wall because he's done this like ton, tons and tons of times. And he has this backpack on that has all of our tents and sleeping bags on. And he's carrying all of this. And we're supposed to just follow him.
0: And Mr. Wu is the uh, the guy that owns the farm, the 80-year-old guy? That's right. Okay. Wow. Wow. So-
1: So Tim and I, the other professor, we kind of look at each other and we're thinking, well, it's a little late to turn back now, but this doesn't really seem very safe. But it's, you know, it's an adventure. And we ask the students, do you guys really want to do this? And they say, yeah, I guess. So (laughs) so now I'm just, I'm just like basically praying that nobody breaks a leg or something. And so we start to seriously vertically climb up the ruins of the great wall of china and keep in mind this wall was made for people to not be able to climb it right so now we're That's a we're fair
0: <laughs> point it's very <laughs> purpose was not <laughs> exactly. to be climbed
1: right let so alone cl-
0: at night by americans in the snow,
1: covered in ice and snow right <laughs> so <laughs> and we're not really in shape you know so we're not like Mongolian warriors. We're, we're not cut out for this. So we're basically climbing up the vertical Great Wall of China, trying not to fall to our deaths. And we, we finally get to the, the top where there's a pretty wide space. And Mr. Wu's already, you know, basically he's been there for like an hour already because he's so proud of he's got all the tents and everything set up. So we see now the tents are basically little two-person pop tents. That are like from the dollar store. These are not high quality
0: insulated
1: winter tents. Of course. And then we have these little cheap sleeping bags for us each. There's no like foam pad. There's no air mattress. So we're sleeping in these cheap sleeping bags in these cheap tents on top of the Great Wall of China. And okay, so keep in mind, it gets down to about 10 degrees that night. So we are. That's cold. Just cold, and we're sleeping on stone. Ugh. So all of the stone is absorbing this cold, and and we're sleeping on top of it, and it was miserable. So we tried oh, wow. to try to do things to keep up morale, like sing songs and make jokes and stuff. But at, at about eight o'clock, we thought, well, let's just try to sleep because we can't see anything. Like there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So no, we don't have really anything to do. So we can't start a fire or anything. So we, we try to go to sleep. And I remember at one point um, waking up and thinking it must be like 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, and kind of like looking at my watch. And it was like 1.30 or something. Oh. And thinking, all right, well, problem number one is I still have a ways to go. And it's yeah. freezing. Problem number two is I have to go to the bathroom. So oh, now I'm right. thinking... Mr. Wu did not like point out any kind of like a porta potty. <laughs> so what am I really supposed to do here?
0: So the the, the Great Wall didn't have like separate men's and women's restrooms right. every hundred meters or something. Right,
1: it did not. <laughs> so so just to finish off this story, um, I get out of the tent and I'm kind of like looking around and I I of course it's dark and I don't know what to do and I'm thinking should I try to like balance on the edge and like go off the side like I don't oh, really. My God. <laughs> Uh, Not to get too graphic or anything, but I, I, I don't want yeah. to fall down. So I I basically, to make the, the end of the story, I basically pooped on the Great Wall of China.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, it's either that or fall off, I guess. I mean, because I could totally just see you. That would be, yeah. But glad you didn't take the risk.
1: Right. Well, I, I still felt a little guilty, like basically defecating on national international treasure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I felt bad
1: about that one.
0: Yeah, and and you know, you and I started off this this conversation before pressing record by saying that that we don't edit out stuff, but maybe for your own safety. Right. <laughs> we well, it.
1: It turns out that we, we talked to the agent the next day and he said, oh, just just so you know, it's not technically legal to, to camp on top of the Great Wall of China. But what we've done is we've just basically put the paperwork that you were camping on Mr. Wu's farm because his farm basically owns this plot of land. So of so I'm not sure exactly <laughs> how this story is going to go if anybody important like finds out about this.
0: Oh, I love it. I mean, that is just classic, uh, classic China, right? Like, yeah. you just they, it's, it, it's going to be made to work. It's the true, <laughs> the true honey badger uh, credo, right? Like,
1: <laughs> He doesn't care.
0: No, <laughs> no, it doesn't give a damn. That's, right. <laughs> that's great. What? So did anybody like get pneumonia or I mean, because that's, no. that's, 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 I'm so cold just thinking about it.
1: It was freezing. Um, fortunately, we had put on all of our clothes. You know, um, We stayed in a hotel the next night and, and everybody was okay, no frostbite or anything, but it was a little sketchy.
0: Wow. I imagine that uh, some friendships may have become closer that night as people <laughs> desired body warmth, right?
1: <laughs> that, that did happen. There was some cuddling that it probably would not have happened otherwise.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, look, let's get this straight. I don't like you that much, <laughs> right. but I'm cold <laughs> just let's pretend this never happened. <laughs>
1: we'll never speak of this again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. And I love the fact of how truly rural that that was. And just, I mean, cause that's the real gray wall, right? Not the stuff that's yeah. put up and, and made pretty for tourists.
1: That's right. When you go to see the parts that have been fixed, it's not the authentic wall. It's, it's new construction really. And, and what we were able to see was the real wall that, that was built, you know, 1,000, 2,000 years ago, depending on the part where we were.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm so curious for the technicalities of like, how did you get back down? Was that just (laughs) as fun as getting back up? Because sometimes that's harder, right?
1: Absolutely. I thought of that as well. As we're going up, I thought this is hard enough, but going down, you can't really see where you're going. You kind of just have to guess where your foot's going to be. So um, when we woke up, the agent had actually um, climbed up to meet us in the morning. And we told the agent we cannot go down the same way that we came up. Like we need to find a safer path. So we actually walked along the top of the wall for about a half mile or so until we found a safer place to go down, where the mountain was closer to the top of the wall.
0: Interesting. Where and and again, given that the wall is supposed to be like keeping people out, it seems like that the, like the least effective part, I right. guess, was the most friendly to uh, to exit from. <laughs> yeah. Well, the. the
1: kind of good part of it is that because it's crumbling now we could sort of use the crumbling pieces as sort of a ladder
0: yeah yeah because i was wondering as you're on your way up um are you like is it like rock climbing where you're finding crevices to place your toes and your fingers and stuff yeah it really was wow that is i mean and so 12 of you survived that
1: that's right plus mr Wu, who had no problem at all (laughs)
0: Uh, Oh, the the 80-year-old guy carrying all this stuff, just like, what's taking you guys so long? Come on. I
1: know. It was a little embarrassing.
0: I mean, yeah, because he's probably lived there his whole life.
1: Right. I'm sure he does this all the time. He makes a lot of money off of tourists who are doing this.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And and what – so you guys went back to a hotel like back in Beijing? Like did you live the city life for the rest of the trip or –
1: we did. We spent a couple of days in Beijing, and then we went to Xi'an. We saw the Terracotta Warriors. So we were able to make a pretty decent trip out of it for the rest of the time.
0: Nice. And uh, and and given that you're an expert in social psychology, did you uh, did you have any new discoveries from? <laughs> All these things are ways that humans interact with each other in extreme environments. Or, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, as you said already, um, there were some new friendships formed, I think, at, at least temporarily for survival purposes that we certainly bonded as a group. I think that it's good that we did that on the very first night because after that, it was kind of like we can handle any problem that comes our way.
0: Yeah, and you could totally say like, oh, I, t- I did that on purpose. I wanted you guys to become a tighter group. <laughs> You know, and, uh, and so that's the way to do it.
1: It was kind of, it was funny because as we're all standing there the next morning, um, we were thinking, this is absolutely a story that we can tell for the rest of our lives, but we would never do this a second time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And and did Mr. Wu make you guys breakfast?
1: He did make us breakfast. We, had the, we went back to his farmhouse and that morning we had uh, sandwiches that were made out of Wonder Bread and peanut butter with Nutella. So more Nutella.
0: Right. So a typical Chinese farm breakfast.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Right. That's I had all these things in my head of like what you might say. But and Wonder Bread, no less. That's wow. That's That's so awesome. Um, Very cool. Very cool. And uh, and so and so I guess that the North Korea thing held through the rest of the trip and you guys didn't end up getting to go at all. Just kind of.
1: That's right. So we were never able to take students from the university to North Korea. But the year before this China trip, um, that other professor, Tim and I, we had approached the university and asked them, would it be okay to take students to North Korea? And the university said, yes, as long as the two of you go first on your own as a scouting trip. So Tim and I had gone to North Korea the year before for a week and spent a a week in Pyongyang. Um, So we were able to do that. And according to CNN, only 2,500 Americans have been in North Korea since the end of the war. So we really felt privileged to be in that very small
0: number. Wow, that's super interesting. So, And and that was, you said, about a year in advance of the the student trip.
1: That's right. So Kim Jong-il had just died about three months ago before Tim and I went to North Korea. So when we were there, it was kind of exciting because it was the first broadcast of Kim Jong-un speaking in public. And so we were able to be there to watch that broadcast in a bookstore. And all of the North Koreans literally dropped what they were holding and ran over the, to the TVs to watch this first broadcast of Kim Jong-un um, speaking in public. It was the first time they had heard his voice in his entire lifetime.
0: Whoa. So it was really
1: exciting to see that cultural experience from an outsider's view.
0: Wow. Especially, I mean, given everything that you can read online about North Korea, about how careful um, your visit is in terms of, of how it's handled from the North Koreans, right? How they try to make sure that you're you only see what you're supposed to see and experience what you're supposed to experience. But to be part of that, I mean, that's a very historical moment.
1: It was absolutely amazing because... You're correct that when you're in North Korea as a tourist, it's basically the propaganda tour of North Korea. So th- it's very selective. You're not allowed to go outside of your hotel. You're not allowed to talk to North Koreans who aren't approved. Uh, they only take you to places that are very impressive looking. So we happened to be there on the 100th birthday celebration of Kim Il-sung, the first mm-hmm. big North Korean dictator. So it was the 100th birthday of him, and it was their their biggest sort of national holiday that they had had in 100 years. And it was on that occasion that Kim Jong-un gave his first public address. So we were not only able to see that public address and the North Korean reaction to that, but they also had this massive military parade To sort of show off how strong they were and how Kim Jong-un, you know, can kick anybody's butt if they try to fight him and he can drop missiles on you or whatever. But we saw this amazing military parade that went on for miles and miles. And we see tanks and missiles and what was – the most interesting, again, was the North Korean citizens' response to that. So we weren't allowed to talk to them, but we were able to stand on the street with the North Koreans watching this military parade go oh, by. Wow. And it was absolutely a, a lifetime experience.
0: Wow. And uh, how did that feel? Did it make you nervous at all? Because, I mean, the military parade, like, for some reason, North Korea has this real tight focus on Americans. Yes. Right? Like, a they lot do. of stuff. So, so, um, did that, uh, did, did that come into effect at all? Like, was anybody kind of recognizing the fact that you're probably one of the few Americans standing in that environment? And
1: Absolutely. Um, the, the people who were in my small group, it was about uh, a dozen Americans and Canadians who had gone on this scout, sort of scouting trip. Um, no one else from the university was there, but we had joined a different group so we certainly had the awareness of how lucky we were to be observing this and how we were american or or the canadians basically you couldn't tell the difference really um right. so i think that they probably felt the same way but yeah certainly the the north korean citizens steered clear of us they didn't try to make eye contact they didn't talk to us um, because they didn't want to get in trouble for making contact either so yeah. So that was really cool. Uh, an interesting experience that we had that's related to that is that we went to this amusement park in Pyongyang. So it's built as sort of like a youth, um, a youth fun place to go in the holidays or on the weekends. So it was a lot of teenagers and younger kids, and they have you know roller coasters and stuff like that, and and they have a bumper car little ride. But what was cool is as we're observing this the rule in North Korea, if you're on the bumper cars is don't bump any other cars. Like that's the game is to, to try to not hit anyone else.
0: Interesting. <laughs> and so, so it
1: was funny because our, our North Korean guide says, do you want to ride the bumper cars? And we said, well, yeah, but can we bump each other? And he's like, Oh, I don't know why you would want to do that, but you can, if you want to. So, <laughs> so they let us ride the bumper cars and, and, This this group of Americans and Canadians are like hitting each other and all the North Korean kids are like laughing like boy They're terrible drivers (laughs) So so then the agent says do you want to just stay in your car and ride a second time and we said yeah Sure, but the first time they had stopped any North Koreans from from being in the arena with us So it was just us with each other. So then we said yeah, but can can the Korean kids come in with us and the agents kind of discussed it and have this little conference and they said, "Yeah, sure, why not." So, nice. we look at the line of Korean kids who are like laughing at us and and we we're like gesturing for them like, "Come on in, like play with us." And and there are some who absolutely refuse. Like they're they're not going to, you know, play with the devil basically. <laughs> but yeah. all of them like really got excited and jumped in. And they had seen that we were purposely bumping each other. So then they started bumping us as well. And it was just this really fun experience of like just people having fun with each other and not caring. And and so I really enjoyed that moment as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Especially since you got to actually do the bumper, like actual bumper right. cars with That's them. Right. And, and were they just having a good time? and, and Oh, enjoying, yeah. They like- were
1: laughing and, and really enjoying themselves as well.
0: Are these like are these like little kids or how old do you think they were?
1: They were like maybe about 12 years old. One kid I I made eye contact with him right before his car was basically aimed right toward my car. So I kind of made <laughs> eye contact with him like are you going to bump me? And he like spits on his hand and rubs them together. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I'm going to come and get you. So it was totally hilarious.
0: Oh man, that's so cool. I love that cuz I just I've always wondered about what it would be like to go to North Korea and the whole, yeah, the propaganda aspect and everything's so controlled just is such a turnoff. But having those moments, uh, is, is that's great. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I really look for too when I travel. It's like, how do I really interact with real people?
1: Exactly. And we weren't allowed to talk to them or anything like that. But just that moment, I remember thinking, you know, this is a highlight of the trip is just having fun with a North Korean kid and we don't really care, you know, and, and and that moment of sort of cultural friendship was really great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so uh so wow, so you were kind of scoping out the whole time you're thinking, "Oh, great, like when we bring our students here, this is the kind of stuff we might do and things right exactly. trying to sort of repeat."
1: That's right. We were doing exactly the same itinerary we were going to do with the students, which unfortunately ended up not being able to happen. And
0: I, you know, I wouldn't normally ask about um, financial stuff, but I'm kind of curious for North Korea because it's such an unknown for so many people. Like, what does it cost to do a trip like that, to go to Pyongyang for a week and have and sort of, you know, um, do these activities while there and and, and things?
1: It costs six thousand dollars for each of us.
0: Okay, so it's just and it's like a package type of deal.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely a package deal because the company you use, if you're an American citizen, you have to go through, there are only two companies that are approved to bring American citizens into North Korea and they're, they're sort of approved by the North Korean government. Mm. So um, the company we used is called URI Tours. It's U-R-I Tours. And they're one of the few companies that, that you can use if you're an American citizen. And there are certain restrictions. So you're not allowed to go if you're a journalist. You're not allowed to go if you're in the military. You're not allowed to go if you have South Korean ancestry. Mm. Um, so, So they do a background check on you before you're allowed to go. But you basically just send them this wad of cash. And then they tell you... You know, fly into Beijing. We'll pick you up, and and we'll take it from there. So you don't really get to see much of what you're going to be doing, and it's completely controlled. One of the things that they do when you land in the, Pyeong- the Pyongyang airport is they take your passport, and you're not allowed to have it back until you get wow. on the plane getting out of Pyongyang. Yeah. So you you have to really be willing to give up your ability to leave. There's no wow. American embassy, um, so you can't you can't go there planning on any shenanigans.
0: Yeah, and and I I've heard a lot about that and, and I just um there was a uh, uh an ask me anything discussion on Reddit the other day uh that was really popular about a guy, uh I believe he's an Aussie guy that just got back from North Korea and he, he published these great photos, and because he's not American, um, which I hadn't seen this information before, like he was able to visit a lot of places that Americans aren't allowed to. Right. Um and that got me on this whole thing where I was, like, looking on YouTube for videos in North Korea. And I saw these videos of these guys in the um, – what, what's the name of the hotel where a lot of the visitors stay on that island in Pyongyang?
1: Oh, yeah. There's a new island. It was being built when I was there. So I don't actually remember the name of it because we weren't able to stay there.
0: Oh, okay. I guess these guys were saying, like, they had to stay on this island and that way they couldn't leave yeah. without approval. That's right. A- approval. And there's a fifth floor on That hotel that uh, there, there's no button for it on the elevator, it just kind of skips, mm-hmm. just goes like three, four, six, seven. Um, but you can get to it by the stairs, yeah, and you're not supposed to go there. And there's these like four or five uh guys, and I think they were American videotaping themselves going to the fifth floor and walking around and like looking at stuff and checking stuff out, and then posting it. And then, of course, they post it on YouTube, which is how I saw it. And the whole time, I'm thinking, like, that is not worth it, like. <laughs> Because you don't know what's up there. Like you go up there and there's so much as one guard who would probably be there. And luckily there it wasn't for them who's right. just like, hey, and then catches you guys. And then what? You know? Yeah. You
1: absolutely are under their control when you're there. I mean, there are guys standing in the lobby of the hotel with machine guns. And if you try anything, you know, they can take you to jail and you're just SOL at that point.
0: Yeah. And I, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact as I say these things that like, I try to be a positive person. So I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't want to like just talk about like negative stuff or whatever, but it's just, it's fascinating. You know, it's everything about North Korea, I think is fascinating because it's such a unique place.
1: It really was amazing. And one of the things that we were able to do is go to the USS Pueblo, which is this ship that they captured um, and it was a spy ship. We, The American government was not uh. supposed to be in these North Korean waters and they captured this ship. And it, and it's a huge propaganda thing for the North Korean government to say we captured an American spy ship and um, we had all these hostages. So it's this big historical event and we were able to tour that ship and it's very anti-American. And mm. so it's, it's one of the things I enjoy about traveling is other views of the United States, and um, to see the atrocities that we really have done in other places that we don't really talk about here, um, and how it's easy for Americans to to grow up with the propaganda of any country that says we're the best country in the world, and you know, land of the free and home of the brave, and that kind of thing. Um, and the, the, that not all other countries agree with us. <laughs> so yeah. that's one of the things I really enjoyed about going to North Korea is um, we were second in hatred from them only, uh, only behind Japan. So oh, that right. was really an interesting right. thing to think about and, and to hear their perspective.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I quite enjoy that as well. I, I like going to places where you can see the others, the flip side of the coin in terms of propaganda, because right. by all means, um, America produces propaganda to Americans Every and to the rest does. of the world for sure. I mean, yep. they, it's it's a uh, and unfortunately a smart thing for a government to do um and i have i think the most striking experience i've had in those terms was in um a war museum in saigon in vietnam uh and where you got to see like the heavily propagandized um sort of version of what they call the american war which we call the vietnam war which was right. it, it was weird when i first saw it i was like oh yeah i i guess that kind of makes sense cuz Why would they call it the Vietnam War? (laughs) Uh, The little little things, you know, Um, and then and then it makes you think like, well, so okay, so neither of the versions that we've seen are probably one hundred percent true. I wonder which one is. You know, where do we get that book?
1: (laughs) Right, and and that's another thing that was cool about going to North Korea is, you know, um, at any point I think if you if you're really kind of analyzing intercultural politics, you think about your, your own country and how do I view my own country and my own government and everything. But compared to North Korea, we're doing okay. Because for example, they have a law in North Korea that, um, there's only one radio station. It's the North Korean government radio station. You have to have it on in your home or apartment 24 hours a day. It's illegal to turn this off. Wow. And we were able to actually drive out to a farm where they had loudspeakers on the farm uh where you could hear this propaganda and of course it wasn't korean so i didn't know what they were saying but um just as an example of that i mean they don't have any kind of free speech they don't have any kind of free press so the north korean propaganda machine i think is absolutely the most powerful one in the world because it's illegal to not listen to it
0: oh man the potential um You know, like I say, I try to think positive and I try to be a good person. But sometimes I think, like, how much fun it would be to be a bad guy and to be a criminal (laughs) and to have—wow! I mean, to have that much influence because to be able to force somebody to listen to something all the time, whenever you want to feed information into their brain, uh, especially amongst a populace who already has very—you know—has already been affected, like technically brainwashed, right? Um, That's
1: right. It's very Orwellian. uh,
0: Yeah, that is. I never heard that about the radio thing. That is super interesting. Um, and it'd be fascinating to be able to know what they were saying.
1: Absolutely. I wish that I had spoken Korean.
0: Yeah. And, and our, so I was just thinking to myself, I guess if you were from South Korea, then maybe you, because I understand the dialects are a little bit different, but you could probably understand. But but you were saying earlier that, that uh, I think, right, that South Koreans are not allowed to go?
1: South Koreans are not allowed to go to North Korea.
0: Right. And I guess I, I guess I could kind of see that. Um yeah, so it's basically the locals are likely the only people to know what's being said cuz if you're also not allowed to have South Korean descent, then you're maybe you don't you're unlikely to speak Korean.
1: Right. It's it's very isolated, it's very controlled.
0: Um Switching uh, switching gears a little bit from controlling people's minds and Orwellian <laughs> stuff. Uh, what about the food? How's I, I I travel for food, so I always want to know about that.
1: <laughs> the food. Um. So there there was a lot of uh you know fish and and chicken and and Korean barbecue and that kind of thing. Mm. The food was actually really pretty good. Um. A couple interesting things about that. Um. North Korea is known as as having a huge food shortage and. And the North Korean citizens themselves are perpetually malnourished. Um, the the North Korean average height is like six inches shorter than the South Korean average height because of perpetual malnutrition. Wow. So so that's interesting. But because we were tourists and especially American tourists, you know, they took us to places that, that we weren't able to like order from a menu or anything. They always had the food prepared for us. Um, it was very high quality bountiful food. I think they were trying to show us how much food they had. Um, But one cool thing that I found culturally surprising was the role of white rice in North Korea. So for years and years, People couldn't get rice, which is such a staple of, you know, traditional Korean food. Um, that in North Korea, they the people had to live off of corn instead, which isn't as good for you. And they mm. would basically have to sort of mash up corn into this kind of paste. So most people weren't able to get rice. So when we were there. They would serve us, you know, fish and chicken and vegetables and kimchi, and then the dessert was a bowl of plain white rice.
0: Oh wow, that's really I interesting. That
1: was so interesting because this was sort of the the cherry on top of the meal, metaphorically. In that they were basically saying the best thing that you could have is this bowl of white rice. It was kind of a status symbol to have this as our dessert.
0: And and was the um, and it's it's it didn't have like flavoring or any. T- it's just plain rice.
1: Just plain steamed white rice.
0: And and was it a uh, like a Chinese style or like a Japanese style in terms of like stickiness and and the way it was textured?
1: Um, I think it was more Chinese than Japanese.
0: Yeah, so more like uh, loose grain kind of a. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was just in a bowl, and you get some chopsticks, and that's your dessert.
0: Wow. That is, uh, that is That says so much, and it just makes me wonder, because to raise a cow or raise a chicken or uh, raise all these other things, you know, f- I mean, fish, I guess, um, they're probably fishing wild, but it, it seems like some of those things are so much harder than growing rice. <laughs> right. And so it's, uh, and, and maybe we'll never know the background, but it'd be fascinating to know the background as to why rice growth would be restricted relative to those other things or uh, yeah and 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 I mean cuz I mean heck that's probably why it is so much a staple in so many regions is is because of its ease of of growth and of farming and and nutritional right. value right
1: Well and the food in general was interesting because there was such a shortage of food for so many years that the entire population was was literally starving in some ways one kind of eerie thing about visiting Pyongyang was that there were no stray animals, no stray dogs, no stray cats, <laughs> no rats or anything like that. And the conclusion we came to was they got eaten.
0: Yeah, yeah, that Probably I mean it would make sense, I guess from everything Absolutely. we hear. Um, I would
1: I would if I were starving, I would eat whatever yeah. animals I could find.
0: Totally, why not? I mean I mean versus starving there's just eat anything yeah um
1: well and a a, a weird kind of funny from our perspective outcome of that was we visited the pyongyang zoo and they have dogs in the zoo um (laughs) because they don't have dogs in their population in general like as pets so they had you know like a saint bernard and a poodle and stuff in the zoo
0: oh my gosh and and here's here's the messed up part about being a, a modern day sort of american human Uh, especially one so and i'm vegan by the way so i don't eat animals (laughs) so i should be sort of like already more balanced about the way i feel about all animals but it i love dogs so much that it just that you know compared to the other animals who are likewise i should feel sad about being in the zoo like uh, picturing a dog in the zoo yeah um i just get this like feeling of sadness about that it's uh which is just yeah that's so bizarre talking i mean that's a whole other field of psychology, I guess. But
1: I asked our guide, um, "Do people have pets? Do people have dogs as pets?" and and she said, "It's extremely rare. You have to be like a top military person. It's a huge status symbol to have a pet."
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see that because I mean, having a pet is it's another mouth to feed. Um, it's, right. It's another sort of resource consumer. Um, did it's conspicuous
1: you, consumption, basically.
0: And. And did you get the opportunity, whether mistakenly or not, to eat a a dish with dog meat?
1: You know, I I would have if it had been served to me. Um, I don't think that they did that because I I think they didn't want to feed into sort of racist stereotypes about Mm. Korean people eating dog. I think that we are mostly served fish, chicken and beef.
0: Okay, Yeah. Yeah. I I, I had approached that um, because I've only recently stopped uh, eating uh, meat and stuff. But um, I had a similar thing. And. I guess, again, a, a Vietnam story, um, where I went to Vietnam with some friends in, I think, 2007. We were doing a bit of a, of a trip around different parts of Asia. And we talked about it. We're like, if we have the opportunity to have dog meat, would we do it? And most of us came to the conclusion that we would. Yeah. Um, because, again, logically, it shouldn't be that much different from eating any other meat, really.
1: That's right. When um, I was in Japan, I had raw horse, you know, and a lot of people... Oh yeah. You know, that's another example of something people think of horses as sort of our friends as opposed to our animal servants.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never had the opportunity to try that myself. I, I, uh, I think I would similarly think of it as uh, beef or lamb or, you know. Right. It's and an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were, you know, we figured we were down uh, for uh, to have a, a meal with with dog meat, but then we saw dogs being transported, like crammed into these cages that maybe they were being sent as, you know, sort of farm animals that to be used as meat, and it really bummed us out. And we're like, okay, it's it's off. We can't do it. Not no way. Can't do it. You know, because we just it just the visuals, um, which I mean, maybe we'd feel that way if we saw other animals being treated the same, which we don't get too much, but, um, so that's cool that, that you had really good food in North Korea. I've, I've, I've kind of heard mixed reviews and, and especially since you don't have much control over where you're going to go eat, you know, to like pick your restaurant or order off the menu. Right. There was no,
1: there was no choice at all. What was funny is our very last meal was pizza.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now was that, Oh, you know what? I read about that on the, uh, on that Reddit chat about the pizza thing that, some some of the chefs in North Korea flew to Italy to learn how to make pizza, yeah,
1: so Kim Jong-il really liked pizza, so he basically had some of his personal chefs learn how to make pizza, and then um you know a couple of them fell out of favor or whatever. And so there are like two pizza restaurants in Pyongyang.
0: <laughs> was it good
1: Although it was really good, but keep in mind that North Korean people. Just normal citizens, they're not allowed to eat in restaurants because they get these ration books for their food and they have oh. to go to these special, um, they're not really grocery stores because you don't get to choose your your food. You turn in your ration tickets and then they give you your allotment of rice or meat or whatever it is. Um, so the the restaurants are all for tourists or top government officials. But the pizza was really good.
0: Interesting. Is it like a thin crust or thick crust? Like what was the style?
1: It was like totally like, you know, sort of, uh, it was kind of a thin crust, but it was sort of like New York style pizza. Okay.
0: A big slice and lots yeah, of cheese yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And, and
1: we were able to choose our, our toppings. So that was exciting. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> so cool. Um, and would you go back if you had the opportunity?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I tried to go back just the next year with the students. Um, I get emails now from this company that I used. They do different kinds of tours. They do a bicycle tour through oh, the countryside. Yeah. I think that would be really interesting. That um, would be awesome. Yeah. So there are a couple of options. Um, so if, if you do decide that you want to go and you're not in the military or a journalist <laughs> or South Korean, then um, you you can look up this company and it costs about 6000 bucks to spend a week in North Korea.
0: Wow. I would totally do the bicycle thing. That's it's funny you mention that. That's one of my favorite things to do when I go to a new place is I like to do a bicycle tour. Because yeah. you usually just see things that you're going slow. So you kind of get to pay more attention. Right. Um, and you stop and off of at city. different places. Yeah. Because uh, I think I, I went to Myanmar uh, shortly after it opened up. Yeah. Uh, my little brother and I went and we did a bicycle tour through Myanmar. Um, and it was, oh, man, so awesome. And it was luckily we went there. Before there was anything, there was no outside companies at all. There was no Seven Elevens. There weren't even ATMs. Um, you couldn't get a SIM card for your cell phone. It cost like thousands of dollars from the government. Um, right. It was still at that phase where you know, because now it's building up. You know, now the like the highways right. are getting busier, and there's there's Seven Elevens, and there's Coca Cola, and there's all these. You know, I'm sure there's fast food restaurants and stuff. Um, but I love the bicycle tour thing. You just, uh, yeah, you, you're, we, we got to go through old worn out train stations that where there's just nobody around for miles and just stop and just, you know, do whatever we wanted to do. So,
1: yeah, yeah. It's a great opportunity.
0: Well, that kind of, that kind of makes me a little more stoked on the potentials for my, you know, <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's what I got to have in my plan someday is, is a bicycle tour through North Korea.
1: I would go as soon as you can because you never know how the country might change. And, and now is when it's the most interesting, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think when, when countries. Because I, I wonder if North Korea is one of the few that's still pretty well closed off now that Myanmar's open. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's others I'm not thinking of, but I think North Korea might be one of, if not the only remaining really closed off country.
1: I think it probably is the most closed off place in the entire world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point about timeliness. Cause if I waited 10 years, yeah. who knows? I mean, the, it's such an unstable sort of, at least the discussions about it are always seemingly so unstable.
1: Right. It might be like bought by Verizon or something. You never know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, so how do you prepare for a trip like that? How did you prepare for like I mean, so for the the trip where you thought you were going to go to North Korea with the students and then the one where you really did, um, right. did you end up overdoing it? Did you kind of do it just right? Like, what, what do you bring?
1: What I did a year in advance of the trip, I started reading books about the history and culture of North Korea. So I read two books about the political history of North Korea and Kim Il-sung and his rise to power. I read a book about that was written by a man who had lived in a Korean prison, basically like a concentration camp, and his escape from North Korea. And so he escapes to South Korea, and it's about kind of his cultural transition and, and that kind of thing, so I read that as well. And then I read a book by a psychologist about the propaganda of North Korea. So that was really very useful. I would recommend people do that especially going to a place that's so culturally different. I think that it made me really appreciate what I was seeing much more. Um, I also started subscribing to, um, you know, like news posts and articles and that kind of thing that were about current political events in North Korea so that I would know what was going on uh, politically at the time. If you remember a couple of years ago, North Korea launched a rocket off of its coast, and it was, it was in the news quite a bit. I was actually there during that rocket launch.
0: Holy so shit. Wow.
1: <laughs> so that was really fascinating to read up on um, and to be there during the rocket launch and, again, to see the North Korean response to the fact that the, the launch failed and how they kind of reacted to the fact that we don't really want to admit that something our government has tried to do has failed, so how can we spin it? Yeah. So one of the things that was funny was um, our tour guide, the day of the rocket launch, um, he, and we were closed off to any kind of news, so we didn't know what was going on. So he announces to our little bus, the rocket launch occurred, you know, at 7 a.m., and it was completely successful, and so let's all celebrate. So we all cheer, you know, and then um, a few hours later, he he stops us again and he says, well, um, I just want to give you an update on the rocket launch. Because, of course, when we all go back home, you know, we're going to see right. this rocket exploded. Yeah. So, so he says, just want to give you an update. Um Recent uh, events have let me know that the rocket launch was indeed successful, but it landed in a place that was not on plan. So <laughs> the launch itself was successful. It launched, but the fact that it exploded meant that it landed in a place that was a surprise.
0: Yeah, let's let's focus on the part of it leaving the ground. That part right. was great. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's... Uh... I love stuff like that, too, because if I were in the shoes of a government official who had to think about, okay, I've got these tourists here, some stuff goes on. How do we spin it? What do we say so that we can kind of tell the truth, but kind of not not embarrass ourselves, right? you know, and not make it too obvious that we're lying. Um, Yeah, that's uh, if I ever had that job, I would just screw up so bad. Everybody would just (laughs) not, you know. I would
1: be terrible. I'd be swearing and the, my facial expression, you know, I don't have the poker face.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I could see you with one of the cool hats. I love the North Korean hats like the, the military guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, like
0: the big top.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be great. We were not allowed to have anything like that. We, I, I tried to get some North Korean cash or just some coins oh, to yeah. take back as souvenirs. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to have North Korean money.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So did you... Did you have to use money at any time during the trip?
1: No. So you, you give them your six thousand bucks basically, and then they provide everything that you need. So the only time we used money is they took us to uh, a little sort of souvenir shop at the demilitarized zone. Oh yeah. And so we're at the DMZ, and there's this little gift shop that we can buy little you know souvenirs. And so we were able to use some cash to buy things there, but they took euros.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. And uh, yeah, probably uh, didn't expect that, I would imagine, right? So,
1: Right. They they took either euros or Chinese money, but that was all.
0: Oh, okay. And did you happen to have any RMBs on you? Yeah, I had
1: had some Chinese cash from when we landed in Beijing. And they had told us in advance that there's this one stop where you can buy souvenirs. So we had been told that in advance.
0: Nice. So these like, uh, I'm just picturing like hilarious statues of Kim Jong-il, but I'm guessing that's (laughs) probably not what was what was available i
1: I actually bought some posters that are anti-american propaganda posters
0: oh yeah cool so i
1: framed them and they're hanging in my office now
0: (laughs) that is so cool we did that in vietnam too we bought anti-american propaganda posters
1: (laughs) yeah yeah they're pretty cool
0: oh man that's that's in korean
1: so most people don't know what they are
0: (laughs) right wow um i mean we could probably uh We could probably go on forever about the North Korea thing, but I kind of want to know, you know, it seems like, uh, you you know, we've covered two really interesting trips, uh, freezing your ass off on the Great Wall, you know, climbing with an 80 year old dude who's kicking your butt um, and and all the the awesome North Korea stuff. Are there any other trips like of your of all the trips you've taken and, and the places you've been like what, which, if any, stand out as your favorite?
1: Yeah. I mean, every trip offers something different. I, I really loved, I took students to Greece and Turkey. And so the theme of that trip was the Iliad. So we all read the Iliad. And then we went to the ruins of Troy and we learned about ancient and modern Greece versus Turkey political relations. And I really enjoyed that trip because boy, Greece and Turkey have the best ancient ruins, um, at least that mm. I've seen.
0: Yeah. So
1: that was really wonderful. I had a trip where I got to go to Ireland for two weeks, and we went to this tiny little town on the coast called Sneem, which is out of the tourist way. And we lived there for an entire week and really got to know the people who lived there. And we lived as if we were just regular, normal Irish people, not as tourists. And that was really great because just to get out of the tourist scene really makes a difference to see the authentic yeah. way that people live um, because anywhere you go, if you're a tourist, you're, you're seeing the fake Disneyland version of wherever you are. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's a so different, I enjoyed that. Uh, it's like a different mental state to, uh, cause I, I feel like, cause I, I agree. I, that's my favorite thing to do is, is to live, yeah. uh, live like a local sort of, which sounds lame saying it, but it's like, yeah, I want to stay in a neighborhood. I want to. Yeah. I want to get into a routine of me living there and having to go to the local shop multiple times to refresh on groceries and right and and just sort of um, like exhausting the the sightseeing stuff and then becoming just part of the the normal pattern almost right.
1: Right. So the the very first international trip that I ever did um, that required a passport was when I was in high school. I got the opportunity to live in Russia for one month. And that was really great. Oh. So I think that's what really opened me up to the idea of traveling to exotic places. Because, yeah. not to date myself, but it was relatively recently that the Cold War had ended. <laughs>
0: so, okay, I, I didn't want to um, ask, but I mean, you you know, you volunteered. <laughs> the Cold War
1: so. it was over. <laughs> the the, <laughs> the Berlin Wall had been taken down. Um, but basically, I lived there for for a month with a family. You know, I took the subway to school every day and. And so that, that was really great. I didn't speak any Russian. Um, but just to live in an apartment and go to the grocery store, like you're saying, um, take the, the public transportation, go to a public school every day. That was really an amazing experience. And that was my first time really experiencing another culture. I was 16 years old. And ever since then, I just haven't been able to give up travel.
0: Oh, I can't blame you. I mean, the, uh, now, a public school, like like a Russian public school, with other were you with Russian yeah. kids in their classes? I was,
1: I was, which was difficult because the classes were in Russian, <laughs> so yeah. it was a little bit boring for most of the time, but really why I was going there was because I, there were a couple of English classes that would occur every day, and so I would go to the English classes and help the Russian students practice their English.
0: Wow. How did you get hooked up with that, especially at 16? That sounds pretty unique.
1: It was a, a program that my high school was sponsoring, so they actually chose about 20 of us. Um, and and it, it wasn't actually people who were good at English necessarily, um, but it was people who were good at physics. So what happened was the, the, the high school where I went had a physics teacher who had a friend in the federal government who got a grant to pay for 20 American kids to go live in Russia for a month. And the idea was that while we were there we did a joint physics project with a counterpart. And the the whole purpose of this grant was that science will basically bring two historical enemies together. So the cold war is over, but we're still not particularly friendly. We don't really trust each other. Science is something that if we work together, if we collaborate, um, we can really make advances. So I did a physics project with a Russian student while I was there in addition to teaching these English classes. So the entire thing was paid for by this grant actually.
0: No kidding. That is so cool. And, and, uh, so, okay. So you were studying physics in, in high school then and
1: Right. I was in a physics class in high school, and so um, I was doing well in that class, and that's the main reason that I was chosen for this program.
0: Man, that is so awesome. <laughs> I love that. How, how was the food there?
1: Uh, not not as good. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a lot of um, black bread, which is not my favorite. Um, a lot of cucumber sandwiches. I don't know if that's a British influence. <laughs> wow. Um, The meat is not refrigerated, so that kind of caused me some pause. Um, So the food wasn't my favorite in Russia, but um, I think my Russian family sort of figured that out about a week in, and they started to modify their grocery choices. So we had, like, pizza once a week, and um, the milk was, like, super thick. It's basically, like, half and half. They said that it was 7% milk. And so that was kind of hard for me to drink. Wow. So they bought me this huge vat of Nestle Quick. And so I would just like pour <laughs> this Nestle Quick in my milk every day. So, so we made do.
0: Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's, I love it. Just make it chocolate milk. And then it's, it doesn't matter what.
1: That. <laughs> that's right. So chocolate milk and Nutella can really bring the world together.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a common theme, isn't it? That's, a- <laughs>
1: that's right. Everybody loves chocolate, wow. apparently.
0: And, are there uh, are there places in the world that you have on your, your dream list of, of destinations?
1: Absolutely. Next year, next summer, I'm going to spend two weeks in Kazakhstan. So I'm really excited about oh, yeah. that. Um, I've still never been to South America. I'd like to see Machu Picchu. And, of course, my dream is that before I die, I've gone to all seven continents. So yeah. Antarctica is like the white whale of travel for me. i got to get there.
0: Yeah, that is... Uh that is the big one. And that's expensive, too. I mean, it's, I know it's
1: like 15,000 bucks.
0: Man, I, uh, yeah, I was looking into that myself a while back. And then I just um, I think I made the right decision and not spending the 15 grand at the time. So I was yeah. going to kind of take the dive and do it. But it's a lot of money. Yeah, you no, know, um,
1: I almost did it at one point And then I thought, you know, I, I have other things that are more practical.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on the continent thing, though, too, because I feel the same way. There's just these big chunks of the planet that I haven't been to, you know. And exactly. Got to cover them off. Uh, yeah, the, the the I'm with you on, like, the, the South America thing. Uh, I haven't been to the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been to China. I haven't been to Russia. I went to India for one night. You know there's like
1: oh, wow because
0: when I picture the map of the world in my head there's just these yeah these enormous chunks that I just haven't even touched or gone near
1: right
0: um, yeah totally with you and 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 I and and the food thing um I learned yesterday that Poland is a really popular place uh, for like plant based food and oh, really? so yeah and I just never would have guessed but there's a guy um that I've recently met that runs a service called Happy Cow. Happy Cow is like a Yelp for vegetarians. Huh. Um and so he, for his for his job, for his work, he knows about all these things. And he went to Poland and he said like within a mile radius of where he was staying, there's like 23 vegan restaurants. Wow. And it's a big thing. So I so I'm in this place now in my life where it's like I'm like, oh well, maybe that needs to be higher on my on my travel list. Cause like, for instance, like I love Japan. Japan's one of my favorites you know yep. but it's super hard to not eat animals in Japan it's right. very very hard and I, I mean I love sushi and stuff but uh, so that, that's, that's a tough one because I'd like to live there someday as well but um, I have to figure that out <laughs> yeah <laughs> But uh wow very cool. Well this, I mean I I really enjoyed the chat and uh definitely appreciate the stories and and you've given me a lot to think about personally in terms of what I want to do and and I've really I mean that bicycle trip through North Korea definitely going on the list.
1: Yeah, I think it would be a great experience. Anybody who can go to North Korea, I think you should go, but definitely go there, you know, kind of with the mentality I'm a guest. I need to be respectful of their opinion um, because you really you can't be going there for your own sort of American agenda or it's just not going to work out.
0: Yeah. And I hear you can get in trouble for that, too.
1: Absolutely. If you have if you have books like um, you're not allowed to bring a Bible, anything like that, um, you'll get kicked out of the country immediately.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Well, um, yeah. Thanks again. I hope hope that uh, it was time well spent for you.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so this has been Episode 5 of Travel Smart by Packpoint. And uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. And Thanks a lot, Wind. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.